My Mac Podcast number 264 this week. Guy Searle and Tim Robertson take a road trip. And not in the, you know, bad movie type. Thanks for downloading. Enjoy. You're listening to the MyMac.com podcast with your host, Tim Robertson. And like I said at the beginning of the show, this is our weekly 264th podcast. My name is 264th podcast every week. Every week. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Tim Robertson, and that's Guy Searle over there heckling me. Yes. You're a heckler. I am. And David Cohen is here. Good evening. The boys are back in town. Absolutely. (laughs) We're back in our own towns. That's right. Uh, Let's start there. Guy Searle, you and I uh, got together on Saturday and went and visited Otherworld Computing, the sponsor of this podcast. Yes, we did. And we actually recorded about a 20-minute podcast while we were there, but unfortunately, (laughs) the audio quality is atrocious. Um, I sound pretty much fine. You and Larry... We were using just... Yeah, yeah. it it didn't pick you guys up. You guys are really distant. It sounds like you guys are sitting on the other side of the room. How much interference does it have if if you uh, crank the volume? I tried that, trust me. Um, And to make matters worse, it sounds like you guys are in an echo chamber. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so... (laughs) Just hit that that anti-echo button in GarageBand. Yeah, that will work. Yeah, too much, too much to fix in post. Was it just way too much? And yeah. um, it was really good. But I, I think what's going to happen is I'm going to save most of the content that he talked about for the written article that I've got about mm, halfway done right now. So yeah, I mean, it's we'll still get the information out there. And and it, it's it's too bad you weren't able to be there, David. It is an amazing facility. And you know, yeah. we don't say that because they're our sponsor. I mean, if no, they were running out of a cool. shack, we would say it's, you know, they, they have good products, but man, they need some new yeah. facilities. Well, that ain't I mean, the case. You, you look at, I mean, just from like a mile away, from a mile away, you can see this wind turbine that they have that, that supplies all the power to the site. And not, not only does it supply power to their site, but they sell it back into the grid. They had a geothermal heating and cooling system, a water filtration system. They had their own method for bundling up recyclables i mean they had it all together it's it's amazing i mean this is what when you watch the discovery channel and you you see what the future is going to look like from like i don't know for energy 2002 yeah (laughs) well they're living it i mean it's it's right now it's it's a fact and it is really impressive how long have they been in how long have they had all that stuff it's just the wind turbine went live this month in october 2009 right. but the rest of the stuff has been there since they moved into the new building obviously yeah and you and david it, it's it's kind of hard to describe just how big this thing is now tim met me at the hotel which is like i guess it's about what two miles away from the from the site yeah something like that yeah and as soon as you know not long after we made the left to go down the the main road that you know takes you to the site you could see the thing from like a mile, mile and a half away. It's yeah, that it's, it's very big and impressive. We don't mean the building. We mean the wind turbine here. Yeah. yeah. And I had seen video of it online, and it really didn't do it justice. I mean, it, it's very impressive. But even yeah. more impressive is when you first walk in and you get past the, the huge security guys and, you know. 
Yeah. Uh, the death traps that if you make the wrong turn, it, you die instantly. Yeah, the laser death traps. Yeah, and they have all that because of something that Guy and I saw that we can't talk about. <laughs> That's right. That I'm dying to, but can't. we can't talk about it. Um, it was cool. You, you get into the call center area, and everybody has their cubicles. It's pretty standard looking. Yeah. But, of course, it's all Macs, and that's like, ooh, look at all the Macs. That's kind of cool. And yeah, Did you see that TV on the wall that they had that shows, like, the average, uh, you know, the time that, that each person was spending on a call and all that? Yeah, that's pretty standard for any call center. It shows yeah. who, where it's the call is coming in from. I actually worked... And the, for the Department of Defense back in late late nineties, um, where we I was actually in a call center, and the call center screen that we had in there made that one look pretty tiny, guy. <laughs> oh yeah, but you guys. Probably I mean, had it, it had a, a map pop, of the world yeah. that lit up, uh, a dot lit up wherever the call was coming in from, and it was pretty cool. But anyways, wow. um, it was a very you know. You realize pretty quickly when you call OWC, they do not outsource, you know, anything. anything. It's it's all in that building. And if you're talking to an operator, he or she is literally um, within 50 feet from the owner of the company, Larry's office. I mean, it's right yeah, there. He's, he, yeah, he's got the corner office in the rear of the building, and the call center is is yeah. It, I, I don't even think it was. I you know don't even think it's 50 feet away. Yeah, I mean it's it's literally right there. And then we go into the back where they do all the order processing and right. packaging and all yeah, that. That is really, really cool. In fact, Guy asked, why do you have all these cameras up in the ceiling? And the reason is they can literally go back and look at video of your order being put together. So if you're missing something, they can go back and see who was working the line that day. Right. And exactly what they put into the box. Now, they don't do that to to bust customers who say, you know, oh, I didn't get my hard drive. And, yeah, you did get your hard drive. That's not why they do it. They do it for to make the business run more smoothly. They could keep track of stuff. So it's really, really incredible process. Yeah, and, you know, all the cameras are time-coded. They all go to two digital video recorders. So they were able to pull it up, like, almost in, in an instant. Now, um, I know some of the listeners out there are thinking, okay, you guys are just sitting here kind of fawning all over your sponsor because they paid you. And, again, that's not why we're talking about them. I, it really is an impressive site. If you're a Mac fan and you're buying stuff online, I think it's kind of cool to know where this stuff is coming from. And now, obviously, right. we can't see inside Amazon's facility or Small Dog Electronics or any of the other places out there, or Apple for that matter. But we did get to have a real good detailed tour of all the World Computing's facility. And it really was an eye-opener how, how big the building is, how many people actually work there. And how sophisticated it is. For instance, David, let's say you have a hard drive that just didn't work for you for whatever reason, yeah. and you mm-hmm. send it back. It just doesn't get thrown into a pile and sent back to the manufacturer. They actually test everything that comes in. Yep. And they can test it with the system that you have, the computer you have, because they have this one testing room with all these older Macs going right up to the new stuff. They've already yep. got the new 27 inches on order in the new... Um, 21 point whatever it is inch ones yeah and so they can test it with your machine it's really impressive yeah they've got they've got the the old power books you know probably going back but even you know the power book 520s and things along those lines they've got the old g4 emacs g4 imax they've got you know the candy colored ones i mean it's just it's like walking into a museum 
Yeah, you walk in and you're just like, oh my god, wow. I forgot about that machine. And they're all sitting there and they're all working. They're yeah. they're not just museum pieces or some in someone's basement. I mean, they are they're working machines. Yeah, it, it's cool. pretty impressive. Cool. I th- I think it's worth you know. Obviously, there will be some of our some of our listeners who will be being slightly cynical and saying, "Well, you know, these are advertisers and what have you." But I think it's just worth pointing out that there's plenty of people. I mean, anyone can run a, a e-commerce website on the internet, right. and there's plenty of people who run websites, and uh, you know, they're literally in a in a you know a factory unit somewhere, and they've just got a stack of shelves with stuff on, and they're throwing things in boxes and getting them out of the door. If you've got somebody who's invested in their facility and their customer service. That's gonna, you know, that counts for something. And if if they've that that company also has, you know, good a good product line and good pricing as well, then um, that's hopefully a transaction you're going to be very happy with. You know, one of the things that I was, and I already knew this, but Larry O'Connor, the the owner of the company, did I well, did I say that right, guy? Yeah, I think so. Okay, just didn't sound right after I said it. <laughs> He's he's a little bit younger than I am by a couple of years, but he is a true Mac geek. I mean, this guy knows his Mac stuff, not from just a business perspective. He's a Mac user just like we are, and he, he could talk all the technical details that you want in one sentence, and in the next sentence, talking about the elegance of a certain older, you know, power book and what, how nice it was to type on that machine. So, I mean, he's not just some, hey, there, here's an opportunity to make a lot of money. He is truly a Mac geek in the good sense of the word. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, again, we want to thank Otherworld Computing for having uh, Guy Searle and I out there. It was, it was a good time. I just wish that the interview would have been all right. Mm-hmm. Now, so, something else afterwards. We decided to go have lunch in downtown Woodstock, oh, Woodstock, yeah. Illinois. And this is the town that they actually recorded the movie Groundhog Day in. Yeah, all the outside scenes. Yes. And some of the inside scenes, my understanding is. But I could be wrong. Yeah, they, I think they filmed some of it at the Opera House. Yes. There. And uh, have you ever seen that movie, David? Oh, yeah, I love that movie. Okay. You know the scene, well, of course, n- number one, the town square. Yeah, uh, guy and guy Searle and I was walking through that, and we got to see where they they filmed the the groundhog and you know the big mm-hmm. celebration and all yeah. that. But there's a there's supposedly a plaque, and I don't say I say supposedly because Guy Searle and I never found it, but we knew we it looked. was there uh, somewhere where he kept stepping off the curb into the puddle. Yeah, and, and that's where you met met Ned Ryerson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, watch that step. It's a doozy. And we looked and looked and looked because... Walked uh, all the way around the square. Yep. Grant Dalkey at Otherworld Computing had told us that it's actually a plaque there where he kept stepping off the curb. So, of course, Guy and I are walking around this square looking for it. And this isn't a small square. It's pretty big. Yeah, it's a good size. And we could not find it anywhere. But halfway into our investigation to try to find it, we found this diner. And we decided, okay, and they actually... Uh, uh, use that diner because I saw it all the time in the movie. Yeah. Um, Are you sure? I don't think that was the same diner. No, they... that, not the inside, but the outside was. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, so Guy Searle and I went in and had lunch. Really good, by the way. We both had yeah, the had same a French thing. Dip. Mm. Yep. That was good. And uh, so when we left, we started our you know search for the plaque again. Never found it, so we just yeah. left. Guess where the, it was? The joke. The joke was that it was underneath where I'd parked my car. 
No, yeah, well, that's what we thought it was going to be, but it wasn't. It was actually sitting right in front of the diner where we had lunch, <laughs> and we never because, saw it. Yeah, well, we we kind of detoured from our walk around the square to go into the diner, and then we came out of the diner and continued our walk and never looked actually right in front of the diner. Yep, and so that's where it was. It, missed it completely. But, uh, well, yeah, you had lunch in front of it, so... Uh, yeah, good enough. It's good. I, you know, I love that movie, and I think it's really cool. That number one, it's a beautiful downtown area, it really is. But it's, I think it's cool that they they show respect for this movie that their town had a big participation in, and you know they have a plaque there, and I think that's really cool. And so, you know, it was supposed to be all over in Pennsylvania. Well, that, that's what I was just about to say. I always thought it was filmed in the real Punxsutawney. No, so, no, it wasn't. Uh, Nope, the the downtown yeah. is Woodstock. In fact, if you watch the movie again now, you'll actually see a sign in the back for one of the businesses that says Woodstock on it. Because, of course, after I watched it the next day, Guy, on Sunday, I actually watched that movie again. Oh, you did? And <laughs> well, you found yeah. it? Yeah, I, and that's where I found it. Well, plus, I looked at a map online afterwards, and there it was. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, there was, there was actually, there was like this toy store there, and they had like this little downtown scene that kind of looked like the square. And on the movie theater uh, marquee, it said, you know, they were playing Groundhog's Day. <laughs> it was pretty cool. So afterwards, getting back to the Mac stuff, because, well, yeah, because uh, obviously Guy Searle and I are, uh, we're kind of into Max a little bit, you know? Yeah. And since Apple came out with these new machines last week, we decided that we were going to head over to the Apple store. And which oh. Apple store did we go to? I forget now. Oh, it's start. It's like S C H. I'll look it up. Go ahead. So, guys, so and I head to this mall, and I, you know, I've been to a lot of malls in my life, but this mall was huge. Yeah. I mean, we had to park a long way away from this mall, and um, of course, the Apple Store is fairly large in this store as well, but it's it's absolutely packed. So, guys, Cyril and I went in and uh, did a little bit of video stuff. I don't know if we'll post it online anytime soon or not. And looked at the new Macs. We looked at the the Magic Mouse. We looked at the twenty four inch i or I'm sorry twenty seven inch iMac. Yeah. And the new MacBook. And I have to say, you know, the the new MacBook. It's not that much different than you know the last MacBook. When you well, look at not, it, not at first glance, no. And uh, you know, I was kind of I, I think Apple really needs to start changing it up a little bit. I mean, they've well, had that basic look since the iBook. I mean, but yeah, but the, I, I mean, obviously, I, you've you've had the advantage of seeing it, and I haven't. But it, I mean, it, they take they're basically turning into a plastic version of the MacBook Pro. Yes, but you has, can't tell that by really looking at it. It just looks like a MacBook. It, nothing jumps it, well, out it has, at you. It doesn't have the uh, gray rubbery top now that it used to have. Surely, no. Oh, it's on the bottom. Now. It's on the bottom. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the whole bottom is kind of an anti-skid surface. And I like that idea, but after touching it, the more I think about it, man, that thing is just going to be a dirt and a a scratch magnet. It really is. So I don't you know. I don't know. I, I, what, what I would say is, is the bent. I mean, people start benchmarking this week, and it it performs just as well as the 13-inch MacBook Pro, the base 13-inch MacBook Pro that I'm using now. Um, you know, and it's substantially cheaper, so you're getting but quite you don't a get value any, there. Well, yes, but you don't get any firewire, so good yeah, luck if you ever right. want to do any well, video editing on it. Well, that's that's uh, yeah, that's a problem. But I, we've talked before about firewire, and, and I think 
the reliance on Firewire is, is, is less important than it used to be. Yeah, it's definitely waning. The, now, the 27-inch hey, iMac. Oh, hey, Tim, yeah. it was the Woodfield Apple Store in Schaumburg, Illinois. There you go. The Woodfield Mall. Yeah, huge, big mall. Yeah. Um, what I was impressed with, however, was the 27-inch iMac. That yeah. thing is a beast guy. Yeah. Oh, good God. Because I had gone in there on Friday before because you know, I, I ended up getting to the area late Thursday night. And with not much to do on Friday, I went on down there. And when I walked in, I walked up to it. And as I got closer and closer, it was almost like the, uh, the wind turbine all over again. It's like, it can't be <laughs> that big. But, you know, I, 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 and, and I just looked at the screen. And then I looked, they had, there was a 24-inch someplace else, and I just kind of looked over at that and gave it a little sniff. It was like, oh, psh, a mere 24 inches, you know. Look at this, look at this monster. It, it's really just an, an amazing machine. Just, you wouldn't just think there's that, a, that big of a difference between a 24 and a 27, but it really is. Well, plus yeah. the aspect ratio is different on this one now, too. Yeah, it's, it, it's 16 by 10. Or 16 by 9, isn't it? No, I thought it was 16 by 10. The old one was 16 by 9. No, no the old one was 16 10. This one's 16 okay. 9. I had in reverse then. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that was kind of funny that Guy Searle and I, and we'll get back to Guy's first night checking it out because there's a little bit of a story there too. Yeah. But uh, I was checking out the 27-inch the iMac, and I said, well, you know, Guy, it kind of sucks that this doesn't have the SD card reader like my new MacBook <laughs> Pro does. Oh, yeah. And there's an Apple Store employee standing right there kind of, you know, hovering around a little bit. And, of course, Guy Searle and I both have our official MyMac.com shirts on. Mine's a bowling shirt. His is a long-sleeve black button-down shirt. And uh, I said because... you were cold. Yeah, I was cold. (laughs) And, you know, I was like, it's a bummer that they don't have this SD card slot. And, of course, the Apple Store employee says, well, yeah, it does. And sure enough, it does have one. And I was like... Oh, I really wish I had that iMac now. I really do. My 24 not only seems smaller now, but I really want that built-in SD card slot. Yeah, it, it's right underneath the optical drive on the side. And uh, so, Guy, you were there the night before. Obviously, it's kind of hard to videotape using something. Yeah, yeah, I was I was having some difficulty. And, you know, Tim, you've seen some of the video I shot, at, yeah. and I was shooting it with the iPhone which makes it even more fun. So it's like kind of like, okay, well, here it is here, and I'm like off-center and all the rest of it. And I just I started talking to this one guy, and he came over and was giving me a hand and, and helping me film some of it. Uh, his name is, is Frank Merlin, and I wanted to make sure, because I haven't had a chance to, to finish any of the video that I shot while I was out there, but I wanted to make sure I gave him a shout-out and say thanks for helping me out while I was there. Cool. And he knew who you were? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was talking to him. I said, like, well, do you listen to any podcasts? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, well, do you listen to MyMac.com? He was like, yeah, you're a guy, aren't you? And it's like, yeah, I'm a guy. So I was you know, kind of kind of like, woo, hey, somebody actually knew who I was. Scary. Amazing. And yeah, they didn't scary. run in horror and screaming? Well, he would have done that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but all yeah. in all, it was, a, it was a fun visit to Otherworld Computing. It was cool to go into the Apple Store. Uh, to check out the new mouse. That's honestly that was oh, the thing that I was really wanting to to look at was the new mouse. Now you, you were a bit dismissive in the mouse last time we talked about this. I'm more uh, so Tim, now. So. I have I have zero interest of buying it. Uh, why is why is that? You don't think it works well? Or? Well, it wasn't working for Guy, and now right. I don't know if they just didn't have the the software update for it yet. 
or well, it, it, I don't it know. Does. It, well, it does. It does. It, it did work. You know, I mean, for the for the functions that they have built into it. Well, it didn't. Um, it didn't do the rotating thing that you wanted it to do. No, and it also I wasn't able to get it to zoom, but but Frank Merlin got it to zoom, and you could see that on some of the videos. I mean, it zooms the entire screen. Yeah, I just and, wasn't very impressed with it, to be honest, David. And you guys know I'm I'm a trackball guy. That that's basically what I use as trackballs. And I, I've never liked the Mighty Mouse, and quite frankly, I've I've yet to find an Apple Mouse that I thought was you know worth a damn. But this new mouse is, in my opinion, not bad. I I will say this: if I was traveling a lot and I didn't want to use my my um, trackpad on my PowerBook or sorry MacBook Pro, You're still thinking back to the museum. Yeah, I am. I would probably <laughs> get one of these mice. But maybe not, because that's, I mean, $70 is a lot of money. And I can see it just causing a lot of problems, just accidentally touching it wrong, and things start zooming and scrolling, and I don't know. I I like the physical buttons on a mouse. Uh, I like a physical scroll wheel. It doesn't have it at at all. So, ah, no, I'm just not impressed, David. I think it's way overpriced for what you get. If it was Dell, it would probably be a a $20 or $30 mouse. But because it's an Apple branded mouse, they feel like they can charge seventy dollars for a mouse, and I just well, how, how much was the previous uh, wireless uh, fifty forty nine ninety nine? Oh, the, the wireless, wireless one? I don't know. The wireless, the wireless one, I think was the same price. Yeah, and it's just too expensive for a mouse. I mean, yeah, you get it free if you buy the computer, but heaven forbid your mouse breaks and you want to go buy a new one. And wow, seventy dollars really for a okay, mouse? Well, you know, really? I I do have one rant about. Uh, the new IMAX is that the, the standard keyboard you get is the one you know the small wireless one that doesn't have the, the separate keypad, and that's it. That's just not a good keyboard. No, it's opinion. not. I don't think. I know. Now we say that, if but you I know. Order it online. You can get it for no extra charge with the numeric keypad. Yes, but you know, I just do not like that keypad. Now right. we say that, but a lot of people do. In fact, uh, Carmel Glover. At my Mac, she loves the little mouse, the little Bluetooth mouse. You mean the keyboard? Or keyboard, I'm sorry. I hate, I love having the number pad. Yeah, me too. I, you know, when I enter in numbers, I don't even have to look at it if I've got a number pad, but if I have to look, use the keys at the top, I just can't do it. My fingers are, they just don't work that way. Well, it's, it's funny you say that. I've got the, um, the, the aluminum keyboard with, uh, with the number pad on, and I don't, I don't use the number pad that often, but I wouldn't like to have a keyboard without it there, because I just don't feel that the keyboard looks proportionally right without the number pad on the side. Yeah, but that, that's it, a, it looks a cramped. Thing. It looks cramped. Yeah, it does, and and I think it would make me feel like it was cramped if it, you know, yeah, even you, if it's just somewhere to rest your hand or, or kind of yeah. rest, rest your wrist on the bottom of it, you know. And chances are, it's you know the that you know the keyboard without the number pad isn't any, you know, the keys aren't any closer together or anything like that, but it, it just looks like it is. Uh, and I know there's plenty of listeners listening thinking, well, you're using a laptop, aren't you? And that doesn't have the number on it, but it just feels different to me. I don't, I don't know what it is. Yep. But you guys want to jump into some feedback here? Sure. All right, sure. Let's, uh, let's play some actual feedback here, and uh, we'll be right back. Hey, Tim, guess who? It's Jim again. I'm on a roll here. Um... But uh, having listened to your episode, uh, 261, you guys mentioned that you don't ever want your family members or friends to buy PCs because 
you don't want to have to support them and you won't support them but in my situation my wife has a laptop pc and my son has a pc so i i don't really have any choice um when things go wrong i'm the man so what remind what this reminded me of is the fact that my wife's computer um you know it's not it's really old it's an ibm laptop and she recently had an experience with the uh wi-fi card not working we couldn't get the wi-fi to work um so anyway she needs a new pc and the guy that that she works with the id guy up at her job uh can get her a, a pc for cheap because they're you know refurbished or um re like someone else used to have it and now they don't have it anymore and uh so they need to get it, give it to somebody else. Anyway, so the fact is, I'm going to have another PC in my household. It pains me. I wanted her to get a laptop, but she can't get a laptop because all of the people at work, they all use PCs, and she needs to be compatible. She needs to be able to access the exchange and all that stuff. And I know she can, but it's just frustrating. And the other thing is, she couldn't get an iPhone because they won't allow... The uh, they said that the, the iPhone is not secure enough for their for their Exchange server, which I use my job's Exchange server all the time. But it's webmail based. It's not. I mean, it's still Exchange. I still access the Exchange server. I get all of the calendars. I get all of the uh, the contacts and all that stuff. But it's via webmail. And he's like, well, that's not that's not uh, secure enough. So anyway, I just had to call and gripe because. You know, just it's just goofy how this guy doesn't want her to have an iPhone simply because of that reason. Um, I tried to access her Exchange server um, on the iPhone, on my iPhone, but it wouldn't work. Or actually on her iPod Touch. But So now she's got a BlackBerry. Oh, it kills me. And that's, I hate the thing. I'm trying to look at it and try to set things up on it, and I just hate it. It's so terrible. I just don't like it at all because it's not an iPhone. It's hard to mess with. So I'll stop there. And thanks, Jim. Um, if you guys want to send us feedback, you can do it with your iPhone. Simply record yourself with a voice memo, and then you can email that file to tim at mymac.com or feedback at mymac.com, and we'll play it right here on the show. One of yeah. the things that Jim was talking about, David, was the security of an iPhone. And I'm sorry to say that it's not secure enough for a lot of companies for good reason. Uh, Apple was fudging their security information. Uh, that well, was a big story a few mo- uh, a few weeks ago. Now I think. Yeah, is is it is it insecure? You know, is it is it less secure than a Windows Mobile phone or a BlackBerry? Maybe not a BlackBerry. BlackBerries are pretty secure because that's been built in end to end. But Windows Mobile is not overly secure. I suspect that comment was more from the IT guy who. There's quite a lot of work you have to do on the Exchange server to set it up so that it will support um, uh, devices like an iPhone for Exchange Active Sync over the web, and he probably just doesn't have that stuff in place. And rather than explain all that, he, it was just easy to say, "Well, the iPhone is not terribly secure." Yeah. I mean, it's I, I do sympathise with the IT guys in some respects. It's it's very difficult if you've got to support you know a few hundred users and. They all come to you and say, well, I want this device, I want that device. And then when it doesn't work, they're going to call you on the phone and say, it was not working, what's wrong, can you fix it? 
that's not a situation where you want to be in, when you want to be dealing with loads and loads of different devices that you don't know very well. Um, so I do sympathise with them on, on that respect. You know, it's not... Most companies aren't so uh, open-minded to just let you use whatever you want. They want to give you a kind of a corporate, a corporate structure and a corporate um, set of tools. So I can sympathise with them on, on uh, you know, on that respect. But it's just unfortunate for Jim that uh, that he's stuck with uh, he and his wife are stuck with devices. Oh, we lost David oh. there for a second. The Skype gods. Did you slaughter that goat, David? No, he, he's got yeah. a, he's got to slaughter a goat to the Skype gods. It's a virtual goat, so those who are, you know, don't don't freak <laughs> out. Yeah, there you go. Oh, you got it. There good. Killed the goat. <laughs> got killed the virtual goat. You're good to go. Uh oh. Did you? Hello. 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 Okay, so I I I was talking, but obviously you didn't hear any of it. <laughs> no, that's okay. Which is probably a good thing. I'm yeah. sure it was great. We got another yeah, feedback um, from John. And it's about my trackpad use. You remember a couple shows ago, I was kind of complaining that my trackpad on my brand new MacBook Pro was kind of squirrely and was doing stuff and zooming and crap like that, and I couldn't figure out why. And so uh, I have got it fixed now, by the way, but let's go ahead and read this. He says, hi, two suggestions. Go to the trackpad panel in System Preferences and enable clicking and tapping the trackpad using two fingers for secondary click. I tried that, hated it. Um, I, I man prefer clicking the option button or the uh, command button to initiate a two-finger type of click uh, or a right-hand click, if you will. So that works better for me. Um, let's see. The second option, you get a right clip by tapping with two fingers. That, that works quite well. The other one, um, you just tap the trackpad instead of pressing the mechanical buttons. I didn't like that. Let, let me... Uh, back up and say what my problem was was I was leaving my thumb on the trackpad where my mechanical button is or was on my older MacBook Pro. You know what I mean, David? Yeah, it's just yeah. what you were used to doing. Yeah, I would just leave my thumb sitting on that button and so when I needed to push it, I just barely push my thumb down and boom, it clicks. So that's where my thumb naturally wants to rest. Unfortunately, that's part of the trackpad now. So what was happening is, while that thumb was resting there, I would flip my finger up or down, and if I went down or, I think it was down, yeah, if I went down with my finger, it thought I was doing a pinch, and my screen would zoom, especially in the web browser. And that's a huge problem, because all of a sudden my text is going, blah, 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 and it's huge. I'm like, what the <laughs> heck? And it was just doing weird stuff like that. So what I had to do was go into the trackpad settings and turn off the zooming feature and once i did that i haven't had a problem with it since but it's interesting you say that because i'm kind of getting to the point now where i'm thinking the multi-touch is getting a bit overdone absolutely i agree you know i agree it, you know, fingers... the trackpad and and your mouse is not an iphone screen apple yeah the uh you know two fingers i can just about cope with but trying to remember gestures with three and four fingers is to me just kind of difficult and i i end up not using half of them um because you know you look through the list in in preferences and there's all these wonderful things right. you apparently can do and you think swipe well, down I, I, I swipe don't want up left right pinch zoom uh twirl yeah. pirouette i mean it's just give me a break you know I, yeah. I, I maybe if you're first coming into this and you can learn that to begin with that would be one thing but there, there's the only gesture I really like is the two finger um, scroll. 
It's the only one yeah. that I use. The rest of them are just, ugh. Well, plus some of them I think are obscene in other countries. <laughs> yeah, you can get arrested in Ohio for a few of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I like, I, I'm with you, David. It's just, it's a little overblown at this point. It's like. Do you think that's just Appleitis? They're just trying to add some new features in to, that no one else has, and oh, we've got this great piece of glass on here, and there's no button, and we have all this multi-touch functionality in the iPhone. Boy, let's put it in a mouse. Let's put it in a trackpad. Do you think that's well, what it think, is? Do you think it could possibly be, you know, a harbinger of of uh, things to come? Well, new Apple products? Yeah, oh, I think so. What do you think, David? I I, I just think they think it's a really cool technology, and um, you know, it, it fits with their no-button ethos. Yeah. Steve Jobs' no-button ethos, so they, they're just putting in there. But I think it's going about as far as it can go. Um, I mean, The only the saving grace of, is, thank God you can turn it off. Yeah. But some of the reviews of the Magic Mouse have kind of, you know, made a point that some of the gestures that are on there are, are quite difficult to achieve because the area isn't small and the thing tends to move under your hand. So... You know, it, I, all of these things need to be used in moderation. Less is more. And uh, I, I just would hate to see to a point where you just end up with 15 different ways of doing everything. And, and it's it's frustrating to hear people complaining that, you know, the computer is doing things they're not expecting it to do just because they've kind of put their fingers in the wrong way because that's not really the Apple way. Absolutely. I think that should be off by default. And if you want to turn it on, then you can go turn it on. Um, it may be even a little movie right at the beginning when you first boot your system with one of these new trackpad or the new mouse or I don't know something. But right now people are just getting kind of ticked off about the whole thing, and Apple doesn't seem to be listening to them at all. Uh, we got one more feedback that we want to get to. Big one. I'm going to let uh David read this one. You probably don't have to read the the second to the last paragraph on a slightly different note. No, I didn't think so. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this is from uh, a, a chap called Neil Neil Wharton, who uh, is a um, fairly long time listener of ours. I know I know I uh, I've seen him around on Twitter a fair bit. So he says uh, I ordered a new MacBook Pro 13 inch for work. Um, I already have an early 2008 MacBook Pro 15 inch, but I have, um, I, I he's retasking that as a virtual machine controller for our new system setup. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so he's the IT manager for an IT company and a massive Mac fan in a window-dominated workplace. So he got the MacBook Pro and uh, the 13-inch and uh, was moving all his data over. He says, I began by getting it logged into my mobile me account, which took over all my settings for mail web contacts. Next day, I decided to use the migration wizard to take over the larger items like documents and iTunes. As I started the new MacBook and loaded up the migration wizard, at this point, the, the hard drive made a funny noise, a ping and twang. <laughs> I could tell the heads kept retracting. I decided to power down and start again in case the drive or its controller had got its knickers in a knot. It was at this point I realised it was much more serious than a little glitch. I got the startup chime and then sat looking at a grey screen with some very strange noises coming from the hard drive. This sounds like a horrific story yeah. to the new computer. Yeah. Yeah. We got in touch with the supplier, third party, not Apple directly, who said they would replace it. Seeing it was the only hard drive, I wondered whether it was worth taking it in somewhere, as on these new MacBooks, the hard drive is used as serviceable. Um, seeing as the supplier said they would have a replacement to me the next day and collect the faulty unit, I decided against it and waited. Sure enough, next day, the replacement unit arrived and the faulty one was taken away. This is being written on the new one, so all is now good. Which but is a good thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Good service. He says, I did manage to get the faulty MacBook working. Because I'd transferred a few personal items over via Mumble Me, I thought it was best to try and erase the drive. Not think, not think I would be able to do it because it wasn't even spinning up properly. Anyway, I decided to boot the MacBook up with the Tech Tools DVD to see what it made of it. It sat for an hour or so at the grey screen, making funny noises. I thought the drive eventually might destroy itself by constantly <laughs> trying to start up. <laughs> yeah. That might sort of solve my stray data problem. Anyway, after an hour or so, the boot screen option popped up. The drive has stopped making funny noises, and the option to boot from the hard drive or the DVD popped up. I decided against running up the operating system and stuck to the original plan of destroying the data with tech tools. I did this with a multiple overwrite and no write errors. Because it was still time before they collected the unit, I thought it would, would give reloading the operating system a try. Success, it worked a treat. The decision on whether to still have it replaced or keep it was a difficult one, but in the end I decided to carry on with the changes. I couldn't guarantee the hard drive will not start playing up again. Um, which is, is fair enough. It's, that's kind of an interesting story because I, I think it, it does illustrate something about these drives. They, if, they, if they do get corrupted on the... They have these control sectors on the, on the, the platters that actually tell the heads where to move. And if those, uh, some of those sectors kind of get corrupted and data is in those sectors, then the drive can you know, behave like this and refuse to boot and make all sorts of funny noises. It tries to read data in a bad part of the drive. But if you can normally run a utility on it that forces the drive to read the sector, what it will normally do is it will uh, recate, it will mark out as bad the areas of the drive that are faulty, and then the thing will start working again and it will probably work fine. Um, so well, that's something depending that... Depending on, because if, if, if one of those areas that, that gets marked as bad is part of the the OS that you have installed, then... Oh, you, you're probably good. I mean, if it has to do that, you're probably going to have to, um, you know, nuke the yeah, drive and reinstall everything because you're probably not going to be able to get the data back from the bad areas. But if, if you give the drive an opportunity to actually mark those areas as bad, because it has, does have spare sectors that it can replace. It has a certain amount, about normally about 10% of the drive, can be mapped out as bad and then replaced with spare so um, you can actually get, if you can force the drive to actually do a full read-through by doing a format or using a tool like Tech Tools, you can often uh, re- you know, get it back to working again. The question, as, as Neil said, is do you then trust it or do you, do you say, well, the thing's obviously um, played up once, maybe I don't want don't to rely on this again. Well, um, did he say anything about how much that cost him to do that, or was that a, a warranty issue? I think it would have been warranty. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a brand new warranty. Key. Okay, well, yeah. if it's warranty, then you know who cares? Get get the new drive. Yeah, it's always err on the side of caution. At yeah. least that's kind of my outlook on it. And again, it's a prime example of why it's really good to have a copy of Tech Tool Pro or. Right, some genius, kind of yeah, something. something that you can boot up your Mac with, in case the worst case scenario happens, and it will happen eventually. I mean, unless you have one of the new, uh, what is it, the SSD sale of state hard drives are mechanical; they're going to break. So just protect yourself. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it, it's a question yeah. of when it will break. You know, speaking of uh, new MacBooks, I got an email, and I believe I got this today. I mean, what's today? No, I got this yesterday. Uh, listener of the show, Phil Paxman, wrote me. He says, I'm getting ready to buy a 13-inch MacBook Pro. I want to sell my 13-inch MacBook. Great condition, still like new. I've heard there are some good websites that buy them. Do you happen to know any? Thanks. 
Uh, and I wrote back, I didn't. Uh, usually I sell mine like on eBay or to friends and family. If I sell them at all, usually I keep them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, or you could go Craigslist, you know, right. which which is nice because you can usually find somebody that's more local to your... your and I don't know how much he's selling it for. And uh, I don't even know if he's listed anywhere yet. But if you're listening, Phil, um, I'm saying that here on the podcast because maybe there's a listener out there that has been looking for a good used MacBook Pro or MacBook, a 13 inch, and they may be interested. So if you're interested, send me an email and I'll forward it on to Phil. And uh, hey, what the heck, right? Yeah. It's just another service provided to you by MyMac.com. That's right. <laughs> yeah, how, uh, how much? How much you commission on that? Yeah, ninety percent, ninety percent commission. So next week on the show, we're supposed to have um, Steve Sandy. He man, he's a heck of a Mac user. He also writes some over on the unofficial Apple weblog, but he's going to be here as a listener invite. That cool. ought to be fun. If you don't already know. We do produce yet another podcast. It's called Sam's Cool Picks. It's all about technology. Usually he has been focusing, at least for the first 20 or so shows, not exclusively, but a lot of the focus on the shows are on um, iPod, iPhone, that sort of thing. And cases, um, games, cool stuff. Just really cool stuff that you want. If you're a Mac user, you should definitely be listening to it. If you go up to mymac.com, on the right-hand side, you'll see a banner. It's one of the 125 by 125 pixel ones. It says Sam's Cool Picks. If you click it, it'll take you right to iTunes, and you should, and you can subscribe right there. But we were going to take a second, and we're actually going to play one of his episodes right here to give you a taste of what it's like and uh, maybe entice you to go tech, take a look at it and download it and subscribe. If it's technology, if it's cool, it's got to be Sam's Cool Picks. And now, the man himself, the grandmaster of tech funk, Sam Levin. Hey folks, this is Sam Levin with a new edition of Sam's Cool Picks. Today I want to talk to you about two new iPhone applications, and actually they're part of the same. Uh, one is called Red Laser, and the other one is called Food Scanner. Now, Red Laser is the the application that um, Food Scanner how would you say it's the API that Food Scanner uses to scan barcodes? Now let's start with Red Laser. Red Laser is a barcode scanning application. It scans anything and it tells you immediately what the price is, a photo of the product. You can email it to people. You can keep it on your iPhone uh, to go back and see what you've scanned. It's really great, guys. It's really easy to use. It takes seconds for it to scan something, and it will give you prices from Amazon to other uh, online um, stores. So it's very, very accurate. I think it's pretty cool. But um, what Food Scanner has done, this is another application, allows you to scan the item, and it gives you information about the food that you are eating or you wish to eat. And then, if you wish to, you could join for free uh, to their website. And it creates kind of like a um, online caloric intake of what you're eating, uh, kind of like a database of what you've scanned. And it's pretty cool. It's called uh, Daily Burn. And if you go to dailyburn.com, you'll see what I'm talking about. You can join for free. But uh, it integrates with Food Scanner. Now, both of these um, 
require an iPhone, obviously because of the camera. Um, you can use any of the iPhones. You need 3.1 OS. Uh, food scanner is 99 cents. Red laser is $1.99. I think they're very, very cool. I can't wait to see the next few versions that they come out with, but this is what I've wanted for so long, a scanner um, on my iPhone. Well, now you have it. Anyway, check out Red Laser and Food Scanner in the Apple iTunes Store. All right, that's it. Thanks a lot from Sam. And, hey, shoot me any uh, questions that you have at Sam at MyMac anytime. All right, look forward to hearing from you. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Sam's Cool Picks is produced by MyMac.com in conjunction with Sam Levin Productions. Please direct all feedback to samlevin at mac.com. And so that is Sam's Cool Picks. Of course, we don't play that every week here on the MyMac Podcast, but we want to do a little bit of self-promotion. Uh, I do produce his show. I'm not on his show, although I have been on his show uh, one or two episodes when I went down and visited him when he was in Indiana. But Sam's usually in the San Francisco Bay Area, so it's, when he comes around, it's kind of cool to be able to see him. And, and just hang for a bit. Just hang for a little bit. Uh, I like his sister and her kids, and it's always a good time down there in Indiana. But, you know, definitely subscribe to Sam's Cool Picks, and uh, you'll learn something new every day. If you're interested in podcasting and you just don't know how to get started, let me know because we are definitely very interested in producing more podcasts. We're not setting up a network or anything like that. We're simply looking to help new podcasters get started. As such, I already have a couple shows early in the works. One of them is a photography podcast, and we've talked about that before. Uh, I actually spent on the telephone either last night or the night before. They kind of start running together, guys, so you know, forgive me if my mm-hmm. date's wrong. I think it was two days ago. Um, about a new podcast that we will be producing, or hopefully we'll be producing. Nothing set in stone yet. But He's a really nice guy. He's really into uh, the idea of podcasting. And uh, let me see. Uh, I want to get his name right. Um, His name is Greg Holdsworth. And it's going to be unlike any other podcast we've done. So far, all the podcasts that we've been talking about producing. Mostly technology. Technology. This isn't one of those. But it will fall under the MyMac family of podcasts. And that we're going to promote it here on this show once it goes live. And he'll promote ours and that sort of thing. But it's going to be a podcasting on gardening. Something well, that well, I know nothing about, and I told him that, too. Yeah, I, I have a black <laughs> I thumb. I, yeah, so do I. Yeah. I. You know, the thing is, I, I enjoy looking at other people's gardens. Um, when my wife goes out there and does that, plants flowers and that sort of thing, I really enjoy it. But I'm just not into it myself. It's just not my thing. And there's a lot of gardening podcasts out there already. But like I told him, is just because somebody else is already doing what you're kind of thinking of, doesn't mean you can't, doesn't do, mean it you can't do it. Doesn't mean that there's not room for more. And that's the really cool thing about podcasting. There's room for everybody. You will find listeners, and we're going to help you do that here. And if, if you're really passionate about it, you're going to find out once you start actually doing it and getting shows posted that it's somewhat addictive. It's something that, well, David, you're still relatively new at 
Oh, no, you're not. (laughs) You know what's funny, David? I actually, I don't know why, but for some reason, when I synced my iPod to my iTunes, which I haven't done in a long time, and I'm talking about my actual iPod. Now, this is the one that I wrote about a couple months ago where I upgraded the hard drive to a 250-gig hard drive in it. Yeah, I mean, it's got a huge hard drive in it. And because I took the Honda, I don't have a way to charge and play my 3GS iPhone in there. So I didn't want to listen to music on the on the iPhone. I wanted to keep that charged in case I had to make a phone call. So I took the iPod, and it's kind of neat because everything I own basically is on there. But for whatever reason, when it synced podcasts, and specifically the MyMac podcast, it sync, synced some really old ones. So right. as I was going through the list, deciding what I wanted to hear... Um, I accidentally clicked on our podcast and it showed me a whole bunch of old ones. And I was like, what, why are these on here? <laughs> so, so I listened to one and it was one that you did all by yourself talking about, um, I think it was a Macworld expo, but not here. That, that, that was probably the very first thing I ever sent to you and it was for audio. It, yeah. It, and it was, it was really, really good. And that was the show. In, that was the show either in what London or Paris. Yeah, it was the London show in. Um, right. Used, used to be around this time of year. They they don't do them anymore. And yeah. you were talking about the fact that Apple had just announced that the first Intel Max would be the laptop and the iMax. Yeah. And that you didn't know if that was such a good idea. And <laughs> but you know, I listened to How'd about that work 20, out? yeah, I listened to about <laughs> twenty minutes of it. And, you know, all your trademark stuff was still there, but it, it was really kind of odd listening to something that news events that happened such a long time ago. Yeah. And hearing you that you weren't an official MyMac thing yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was kind of cool. I mean, yeah, very interesting. For, for anybody out there that wants to listen to some of our old shows, if you go to MyMac.com, Right at the top of the screen, you click podcast, and there's all of our podcasts listed right there. Now, some of our really What was the number of that show? uh, I want to say like 70, somewhere back in there. It was was about three years ago, that I'd say. Mm -hmm. I was still doing what, Dashboard Minute? Dashboard Minute, yes, you were, because I, I clicked to the next show after that, and the Dashboard Minute was on there, so... And, in fact, um, Not Mac News was on it as well with Chris Siebold. Oh, I missed that Which show. I thought was great, but listening to it back, I was like, ugh. <laughs> that didn't really work, did it? <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I, I actually found that that show was, was, was very well done. I always liked Chris's kind of you know low-key delivery. almost reminded me of... Um, uh, what's the, the the comic that always has the kind of monotone monotone delivery. I can't think of his name. Um, I, and Stephen Wright. Yeah, Stephen Wright. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I wanted to get Chris involved in the podcast, but he just couldn't commit to coming on the live show when we recorded it every week. And uh, so he wanted to do something small, so I, I came up with the idea for Not Mac News, which, Guy, you eventually took over for a while, too. Yeah, just for a little while. Just for a little I bit. I couldn't do it justice. And uh, I thought he was really good at it, and uh, I miss having Chris on the show. It's been a long time. We should probably get him back on again soon. You know, you should yeah. you should actually have a podcast that just like kind of gathers up all those old bits of of his, and just kind of you know because I guess that would probably be like maybe an hours hours worth. You know what I want to do, um, but I don't want to do it myself. <laughs> I would love to have a best of my Mac 
You know what I mean? At this point, that would be kind of tough. Well, I don't think I could physically go back and listen to all the shows and try to pick out the best of. Plus, I was in every episode, so I think I would be the wrong one to do it. But maybe there's a listener out there who would be interested in, you know, don't go through all the shows. Obviously, you'd end up committing suicide before you could do that. <laughs> but, just start from about 100 on when I started. <laughs> yeah, and see if, uh, you know, maybe some of our listeners can actually create some best of shows for us. That, I think that would be kind of neat. That would be. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'll, you know, we'll release them, uh, not in lieu of this show, but we could at least release one of those like on a Tuesday or something. So if anybody listening wants to tackle that, full uh, credit. yeah, full credit and uh, record yourself too. say, Hey, I'm so-and-so and here's my, uh, picks for best of my Mac podcast. And you could actually do like an intro for each one. Absolutely. Like Anything an intro, you want to do. Intro into each little do, bit. Do a mashup. You know, when it comes to our podcast, if somebody else wants to, uh, steal audio out of them and use it somewhere else, pff, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, knock yourself out. <laughs> knock yourself out. All you have to do is go up to MyMac.com and click the button that says Podcast at the top of the screen. It starts with the newest, and it goes all the way down to uh, 2004, first MyMac.com podcast. And, you know, for a long time I had podcast as capital P-O-D, capital C-A-S-T. Um, obviously that's not the way it is, and I had to set up the user that way so they all come up. The user is MyMac Podcast, and Podcast has that second capitalized letter in there, and I hate that, but it is what it is. But if you want to do it, that would be really, really cool. Um, maybe we'll make a contest out of it. You know, the the best you're one. something away. Yeah, the best one. We'll give you. We'll find a hard drive, or a printer, or a printer, or something, and, <laughs> and we'll send you it. Yeah, I think that would be cool. So with that, we're going to wrap up this show. Like I said, next week we've got. Uh, Steve Sandy, he's from the unofficial Apple weblog. That's he where he does some of his writing, and uh, you could check him out at Raven Solutions. He, he's really I'm big for, into I'm the, for Max.com. Yep, he's really big into the Apple Consultant Network. I mean, really big into it. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. And in the meantime, make sure you check out all the going ons at MyMac.com. I'm Tim Robertson for Guy and David. We're out of here. Thanks for downloading and listening to the MyMac.com podcast.